0: Six foot six above sea level I grab my mic because I like to take you to another mental level No power frequency, radio modulation The big sound from underground We bring the truth to places truth that's never heard before we bring the
1: sound- Good afternoon, Madison. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public <laughs> affair. And today, my guest is Barbara Alvarez. She has recently published a piece with the Progressive Magazine titled Libraries Where Abortion Access and books, book bands collide. I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't know what I was anticipating for for that to say, but I just read your piece. You have an upcoming book. That is the library's guide to sexual and reproductive health. How are you doing today, Barbara? Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing pretty well and glad to be here.
1: So this is, I mean, banned books is a huge issue right now. Abortion is, you know, a felony in the state of Wisconsin. Why was it important to you to write this, this piece? Why Why was it important for you to talk about how book bans um, and and abortion are, are colliding in libraries?
0: Well, my background is librarianship, and I've been a library and information science professional for almost 12 years. And I think it's really important that we take a look at what's going on with book bands as well as abortion bans and see them as part of a larger issue. They aren't separate. They're actually uh, very much connected. And that is part of a larger issue of disinformation that we have going on. This is happening throughout the country, but it's especially happening in Wisconsin where we have this information vacuum about reproductive health information and sexual information. And it's trickling down into... Into book bans. So while we're having legislative attacks on reproductive health, we also are seeing attacks on uh, book availability and information access, and they are connected. They aren't separate issues.
1: How do you think that this positions librarians? You had some really <laughs> interesting quotes from librarians, and I think uh, uh, I think most of us think of of librarians as kind of mild apolitical ladies who are like holding it down for for little kids who want to read Matilda for the first time um how how are how are the politics that are playing out putting librarians in a position of kind of you know uh uh, taking taking a side or taking a more political stance um because information isn't neutral
0: so I think it really is important for us to recognize that uh, library professionals operate under a core set of values. These values are um, expressed by the American Library Association, and some of them include access to information, uh, confidentiality and privacy for using information, diversity of information, intellectual freedom, education, and lifelong learning. And librarians of all stars and stripes uh, adhere to that code of ethics of information access and lifelong learning and um, democracy of information and also confidentiality and privacy of accessing information and so it's really um, it, it's really upholding that because when we have. People that are trying to restrict information access and trying to ban books, that's exactly counter to those library library freedoms or those library values. And so it's putting librarians in a position to uphold the values that they, uh, their professional values. But also, um, I think it's also important to note that this is happening at a really difficult time for uh, librarians in general we are still in a pandemic and librarians have been at the front lines of that pandemic for almost three years now um, working with uh, shortened staff um, in a a public health crisis with deteriorating budgets um, and also we are seeing a bunch of local homegrown activist groups that are trying to ban books um, in schools and in public libraries, and have resorted to harassing librarians for simply upholding their values. So it's a stressful time to be a librarian. However, I know um, that librarians are committed to upholding the value their professional values, but that doesn't mean that it's, uh, it, it, it's easy. I mean, this is under a, a tremendous amount of stress and pressure.
1: Yeah, libraries serve communities in multifaceted ways, and they are real instruments of our democracy. I vote at my library. It's like 400 <laughs> feet from my house. Um, I am a huge fan of our of our local libraries here in Madison. Barbara, I'm so grateful that you talked a little bit about the fact that we're still in a global pandemic, that that is exacerbating some of the divisiveness of these conversations, some of the hostility of these conversations. And you yourself actually have COVID right now for the first time time Um, so I think there is this huge desire to say hey we've moved beyond the pandemic but it is really nice to hear you say no this is something that is still making all the things we're up against and some of the hostility of these dialogues more intense. Absolutely
0: I mean public librarians aside from talking about um, book bans. Public librarians have had to be on the front lines of people complaining about having to wear a mask at the library or, you know, being upset about uh, change in library services or library hours um, while still uh, upholding all of the the um, the commitment to information access and trying to work under these really difficult situations. And that is emotionally exhausting. Uh, and now we add in book bans on top of it. And A lot of many times these book bans are also coupled with harassment of librarians. And so it's an emotionally exhausting time to be a a librarian. But I give um, extra extra kudos and, um, you know, and support to librarians that continue to do this work because it is so important and it is so foundational to democracy and intellectual freedom.
1: Thank you so much for speaking to that, Barbara, and I'm
0: so grateful that you're with us, even though you're
1: under the weather. Um, If you want to join this conversation, we're talking about book bans, we're talking about abortion, and we're talking with Barbara Alvarez. Barbara is a former public librarian in Wisconsin. She is currently a PhD student at UW-Madison, and she's also an instructor in information science. There, she... there, she is focusing on information access and reproductive health information. Her forthcoming book is The Library. Library's Guide to Sexual and Reproductive Health. If you want to join the conversation today, the number is 608-256-2001. Press 9 and Ben will patch you through to ask questions about abortion, book bans. Um, Huge shout out to our engineer, Ben, and our producer, Jade, for making this conversation on WORT 89.9 FM, Madison possible today. Um, we could not do the show without you two wonderful people. I I want to ask a little bit about when information poses a threat to other people. Um, if a kid comes into the library and says, hey, I'm really interested in how to make a bomb, would you you know treat that as just curiosity or <laughs> is that a red flag?
0: Yeah, so that's kind of a classic um, case in uh library reference work where um librarians are uh are taught to hinge on information access and not to make assumptions about what people are going to do with information I can't assume um and I can't know what anybody is going to do with certain information and neither is it really my business (laughs) um so librarians operate from a place of information access, not um, policing the information that people are, uh, are absorbing or are choosing to read. And so uh, that's a core tenet of librarianship and intellectual freedom is that and, and you know, the thing is, uh, librarians... And in, in the piece for the progressive, um, several librarians that I've interviewed talked about the variety of questions that people come to the desk with. I know in the many, many years that I have worked at the reference desk, I've gotten a whole array of questions that people have asked me. Um, and it, it, it really spans the spectrum of political, religious, uh, socioeconomic. Uh, a whole variety of issues, values, perspectives, and lifestyles. And it's not my place at the desk to be determining what somebody is going to do with the information or whether or not I personally agree with it. The, the purpose is to direct people to the information access. The other thing about librarians at the desk is we are information professionals. We aren't, um, you know, uh, health experts. We aren't lawyers. We aren't uh tax uh cpas or anything like that um sometimes people ask us for opinions on things but that's not our place to answer about our, our opinion on things our our place is to direct people to the information so that they can educate themselves and form their own opinions and do the research themselves i think that that is something that it gets missed with these book bands is that by assuming that because libraries have information that therefore that uh, it necessarily will align with whoever is at the reference desk. Um, there's, the library has information on a whole array of topics that somebody may or may not be aware of. The purpose is to provide access and that you as the information user <laughs> is to educate yourself and, um, and come to your own conclusions. And it's really about fostering a culture of critical thinking by hinging on information access.
1: So I greatly appreciate that. And at the same time, I imagine that if a kid comes up to you and says, hey, I'm really interested in, you know, suicide, um, that you might say, like, oh, I I find that a little concerning or that might be Mm -hmm. something that that triggers uh, a different response. As somebody who works in education, um, Mm -hmm. there's a series of, of kind of cues or explorations that, you know, adults are, mandatory reporters within education Mm -hmm. to acknowledge and, and address whether those things are, are, you know, turn out to be something to be concerned about or not Um, certain flags. You're not actually legally allowed to ignore within the context of education. Is that different for librarians, for librarians, if somebody says, Hey, I'm interested in, in researching self-harm. Hey, I'm interested in researching, you know, childhood, sexual trauma, I'm interested in looking into um, assisted suicide. Are you supposed to support somebody with a completely neutral lens that doesn't allow for you to have any concern for that person's safety? Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I think a a strong reference interview would, uh, the, the thing with that, libraries and, and working with librarians is we're not Google. We're not a, a search engine. It's actually having a conversation with a human being, which is a great thing about libraries. And so I think a strong reference interview, which is um, like a professional term reference interview, but really what that means is just the conversation that you're having with the librarian when you're asking for resources would probably hinge on, oh, okay, sure. Um, you know, can you tell me a little bit about uh, what you're looking for, what type of research you've already done on this topic or what you intend to do with this information just so I can help you, so, just so I can better help direct you to the resources that you need. And perhaps in that conversation, um, you would find out this is for a school project, this is for a paper that I'm writing, or this is a book report I'm doing, or perhaps it's somebody who's in crisis and then the library would then be able to direct somebody to, uh, to the resources if, if, if that in- is indeed the situation. I know of many libraries that also... Um, operate under a uh, social work type model, where either they have uh, somebody there who is a community resource specialist, um, who kind of is a, a social worker for the library who can direct people to community led resources or librarians are um, expressly trained to direct people to those types of resources. So I think, um, <clears throat> you know, a, a, a solid interaction with somebody would uh, could help Uh, determine the usefulness of it but again um, coming back to information access is um, is really the cornerstone of intellectual freedom
1: yeah so let's talk about you know medically accurate information because we are talking mm-hmm. about abortion um and so much of the conversation about abortion has been about how people feel about abortion um mm-hmm. how people's faith dictates their relationship to abortion but we haven't been able to have conversations about the reality of medically necessary abortion things like ectopic pregnancy um things like abortion that will end in miscarriage or kill um the person who is pregnant um how how are libraries being charged at this current moment with <clears throat> people medically accurate information about their bodies and the information and and, and the kinds of interventions they may need um, to promote their own health and safety at this time, especially when those information those interventions may be illegal or mm-hmm. criminalized?
0: So uh, prior to the reversal of Roe in June, I had surveyed um, librarians throughout the country and received feedback from about 178 librarians about the sexual and reproductive health information that they do or don't provide in their libraries. Um, And unsurprisingly, many librarians said that this is uh, abortion information or contraception or sexual reproductive health information is just something that people don't really ask about at the reference desk. And, you know, that isn't too unsurprising because there's, first of all, let's, let's talk a couple things. Um, there is something very real called library anxiety. Um, library anxiety is just, the, the fear that somebody might have of even asking a question about anything—you know—do you have this CD or is this magazine available? It doesn't have to be a an emotionally charged question. It could be a benign question, but somebody has this anxiety, like, oh, I should—I'm wasting their time. I'm going to look stupid. Uh, I could just find this on my own. Um, library anxiety is not isolated to people that are are new to the library. I teach classes on reference. And uh, one of the projects that I have with graduate students, students who are pursuing a master's in library and information science, is to ask a reference question at a library and then write what your emotional experience was like asking the question, being the person behind, the patron at the desk. And so many of these students who, again, these are library professionals, these are people that are pursuing a degree, felt some sort of sense of anxiety, um, some sort of sense of intimidation or fear or, or something like that, simply because um, it's intimidating somebody else a question. So number one, we have library anxiety in general. Uh, and that's really, um, you know, it, it, that's just kind of something that patrons of all uh, backgrounds experience. And now let's add into the layer of sexual and reproductive health. That is something that some people might not even feel comfortable asking their own doctor about, much less a stranger at the reference desk. So it makes sense when librarians say, we don't really get asked that a lot. That makes sense because you aren't in this. I've been asked a Sexual reproductive health information a handful of times in the 10 plus years that I've been behind a reference desk. So it's not unsurprising. However, just because people aren't directly asking for the information doesn't mean that they aren't looking for that information. And a way that we can know this is if you look at something like Reddit. I was a research assistant on a project where um, we were reviewing. A forum on Reddit about abortion, where people were specifically asking about, oh, should I, um, you know, go for a surgical abortion procedure, or should I do a med- medical abortion procedure? So either um, in clinic, or should I do an abortion pill? And getting feedback from other people. So people have questions. People want information. People want answers, but um, you know, they they don't necessarily know where to turn. Now let's add in this additional layer about legislation. Um, the, the feedback that I'd gotten from the 178 librarians, that was before the Dobbs decision in June. Now we're in this whole other era in this country where we don't have federal protections for abortion. Right now we have 14 states, including Wisconsin, where abortion is not legally available in clinic. and um, <clears throat> And so there's this whole other host of anxiety about well, am I, people simply may not be aware that they can even ask for this information. And librarians also might have some of that type of fear. I know that in July, librarians in Oklahoma were told not to mention abortion or provide abortion information until they received clearance from legal counsel. And then in September, faculty at the University of I- of Idaho were instructed not to say abortion or provide any type of abortion information. Um, and that also- that they could only say that condoms prevented disease not pregnancy so okay now we have this whole legal ecosystem that is changing the way that people are seeking information about abortion but also how they're um perhaps providing information about abortion in the librarians i spoke to in wisconsin for the piece with the progressive uh they were all committed to um to providing comprehensive sexual and reproductive health information that that is something that they know that they um can and, and should do um however i think it's really understanding the the ecosystem of asking and providing the information is it for sexual and reproductive health information is different and so the um i think where libraries really come into play is providing strong Um, information in our collections, providing information or internet access, computer access, um, resource guides, and also developing community connections with um, evidence-based groups that can help provide sexual and reproductive health information.
1: Thank you so much. And I think the other thing I want to ask is when you were saying, you know, Folks at at the University of Iowa were told that they can only say condoms prevent disease; they don't prevent pregnancy. Yeah. It's, it's
0: Idaho, actually.
1: Oh, I, Idaho! Yeah. My bad. Yeah. Um, so, you know who who is who is telling librarians what they can mm-hmm. and can, who is telling faculty what they can and cannot say.
0: Well, the Idaho decision, um, I believe that that was a dormant piece of legislation that had been on the books for decades and just had never been taken off the books and with um the Dobbs decision in June uh that this had become reactivated at least in September so uh, I think really things were put into a tailspin after the Dobbs decision in June and people were kind of scrambling about what they can and cannot do with information I also want to say that this isn't necessarily something um, within the last six months of Roe being repealed. We had um, SBA in Texas, where, which is an abortion bounty hunting law, where people could sue up to $10,000 if they believed that somebody was aiding and abetting somebody in getting an abortion. And yeah, that could include sharing information about abortion. So I think this whole connection about abortion bans and book bans, it's coming down to information access. Um, It's also
1: a conversation about privacy, right? Because I think of when I go to the library and I check out a book or I go to the library and I use the computer, um, I think of that as a a private experience. I don't think Mm -hmm. of that as something that could be used against me or used to criminalize me. Um, Can you talk about you know, is there a threat of, of, of libraries being used as as evidence against people? Um, and and what does that look like? Has that happened? Will that happen? And what are libraries doing to prevent that or participate in
0: it? Well, um, libraries again, one of the core tenets and values of librarianship is confidentiality and privacy. And librarians are absolutely committed to that. They do not share with anybody what you searched for. Um, when you use Computers at at public libraries. uh, When you log off, your internet history is wiped. There is, um, you know, sometimes I would have patrons who'd be upset with me who'd be like, "Oh, I logged off the computer, and um, you know, the paper I was working for, I was working on is gone, and now it's deleted." And it's like, okay but that actually is protecting your privacy. So, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because sometimes it's like, okay, make sure you save your work to a flash drive or you email it to yourself because once you're off that computer, everything is gone. And it's the same with checking out books. Sometimes patrons will be like, can you tell me the book that I checked out six months ago? We don't have a record of that. Some patrons can opt in to have a record and keep their own personal record. uh, And it's an opt-in process typically to keep a personal record of what they checked out. But librarians don't keep lists of what people borrowed, what they searched for. Um, They don't tell other people what you were checking out. Often um, many libraries will have self-checkout machines too. So that also adds an additional layer of privacy where you don't even have to have your book checked out by a librarian. You can go to this machine and have it checked out. Um, And in cases where, you know, uh, law enforcement might say, well, what's this person checking out? Um, that's not something that librarians would give would give access to or, or information about. So that is a core piece of librarianship is that confidentiality and privacy.
1: Are libraries feminist spaces? Are our librarians in, inherently feminist? I mean, what 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 I think you know, we might miss in kind of the mild mannered perception of librarians is that it's often these kind of radical, well-read women. Um, And I guess maybe that's part of like the underground railroad system that is our libraries. But can you talk a little bit about how librarians are positioned um, as as a group that is majority women, as a group of public servants, um, as a group of people who are (laughs) well-read?
0: Um, I mean, I would argue that libraries are feminist spaces. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, that's something that I would feel very strongly about. And I think that the praxis of librarianship is rooted in feminism. Um, I mean, it, it, it it's certainly centered on egalitarianism and democracy, um, intellectual freedom, information access. and um, And the other thing about public libraries is that it's they're some of the last public spaces available in in the country. You don't have to buy a cup of coffee to sit there. You don't have to do anything. You don't even you don't have to have a library card. You don't have to do anything except enter the space. Um, there are no requirements to be there except um, you know to be respectful, and uh, and that really transcends all different type of identities, um, and so I. I think that public libraries and and the work that public libraries do are, are so crucial, especially at this moment in time, where not only are we seeing an attack on information, um, all over as well as individual rights, but also the commodification of, of spaces (laughs) and of, of existing. And so, um, Public libraries, I I think, are some of the final frontier, and I would say that's a feminist frontier.
1: Oh, thank you for for speaking to that. If you have an opinion on, you know, your local library, the kinds of books you should read, the kinds of books you shouldn't, what you want banned, why people should be able to learn about abortion in a library, why they shouldn't. Give us a call today at 608-256-2001, extension 9, or reach out to us on Twitter at WORT talk. I'm your host Ali Maldro. This is a public affair. You're listening to WORT and if you're just toin- to uh, if you're just tuning in, um we are having an incredible conversation about how book bans can jeopardize reproductive rights with Barbara Alvarez. She is the author of the forthcoming book, The Library's Guide to Sexual and Reproductive Health Information. Talk to us a little bit about you know why why you're writing this book why you wrote the 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 piece in the progressive why you want people to know that libraries are a resource in terms of information about abortion and they need to be protected
0: well i think let's just take a look around and see all of the places where information access to reproductive health information is been seriously jeopardized and I'm just going to list a few things here, but there, this certainly isn't an all-encompassing list. And I will also say that in some states, it's more so than others. We're in Wisconsin right now. And so because of an 1849 abortion ban law, this is, um, you know, this is especially unique to Wisconsin as well as the other states where abortion is currently banned or heavily restricted. But these are just a few things that I want to say. In Wisconsin, we have um, a great percentage of Catholic hospitals in this state. Uh that is, an, at its face, many of these things don't seem like an information issue, but I argue that they are, because Catholic hospitals adhere to their own religious directives, which means that they don't provide services about, they don't provide abortions, um, they don't do tubal ligations or vasectomies, uh, very limited on contraception, if at all, um, and the thing with that is that many people are simply unaware that the Catholic hospital that's closest to them wouldn't be able to provide them with comprehensive sexual and reproductive health services because those religious directives often aren't on the website, the Catholic hospital's website, letting people know that. So that's an information access issue, first of all, that it's not even an upset upfront, but that also many people may not find out until they're actually in an appointment with a doctor or requesting a service or something like that. Now, that, that also brings into a whole host of other issues because where, where then could that person go to the nearest um, facility? Would it be within their insurance? Is it something that they could afford? I and mean, That's a whole bunch of other issues, but that's just one area. Then let's add into the issue of crisis pregnancy centers. In Wisconsin, before Roe was reversed, we only had four abortion clinics in the state. Those clinics were in Milwaukee, Madison, and Sheboygan. That meant that people who are in the northern part of the state we uh, were much more geographically isolated and it took many, many hours to get to the nearest abortion clinic. I will also say that in Wisconsin, we had many issues with even um, getting an abortion appointment because we had this uh, two day uh, requirement. So you had your first day where you had to have um, in-person uh, consultation with uh with a provider about the abortion procedure and then you had to wait at least 24 hours before the actual procedure and the procedure had to be with the person that you had that initial conversation with that's a whole scheduling issue um it, it's that exasperates existing inequalities for people that already have to manage child care transportation gas hotel not to mention the actual cost of an abortion okay so already we had before roe we already had issues with abortion access Now, let's add the layer that we don't have clinical abortions available in the state right now, but we have over 70 crisis pregnancy centers. In my own community, I see crisis pregnancy center signage on billboards. I I can count at least four of them off the top of my hand. I see them regularly on my way to the grocery store, to the post office, or something like that. Um, Where are
1: you when you're seeing these these crisis pregnancy billboards? Uh, I'm
0: I'm in the Sheboygan County area. Okay, And And, I think an
1: important thing to say is I think people might think, well, there's a lot less people in the northern part of the state. You might need abortion less. Um, But I want to say, you know, Wisconsin has over 70 counties and STDs year after year after year are rising in all of <laughs> them with the exception of one. Shout out to Lacrosse. Okay, I don't know what they're doing but they're very effectively um letting letting folks know how to navigate their health and safety um or more effectively doing so than the vast majority of the state. So if STDs are on the rise um which is an un- unexpected kind of, you know, sexually transmitted uh, disease or illness or infection, um, unwanted pregnancy is a phenomena experienced across the state by all kinds of people for all kinds of reasons. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think the idea that maybe in Sheboygan or maybe in Eau Claire or maybe, you know, in in the north woods of Wisconsin, you don't need this information as much. Unwanted pregnancy is less likely to occur. Um, I don't I don't agree with that. Barbara- yeah,
0: no, that, that's not true. <laughs> I mean, I, I, and the thing is, with the crisis pregnancy centers, there's um, these billboards that have blatant disinformation on there, specifically talking about abortion reversal pills, which are not backed by science. And so we have, okay. So first of all, we have Catholic hospitals, we have crisis pregnancy centers. Um, we don't have abortion access available in state. We have, um, and now we have book bans. (laughs) So it's creating this vacuum where information access about sexual and reproductive health is extremely stigmatized. It's difficult to come across and, um, it's, it's really vilified to even seek this information. And so that's why I think public libraries are so crucial, At, at the, have always been, but are especially important right now, because this is the place where you can search for information confidential, in, with confidentiality, with privacy. That this is a place where you can um, receive information without judgment. And that information to me, information access is, It's a reproductive health concern, but it's also a reproductive justice concern because people aren't able to make decisions about their lives unless they have the full scope of information access.
1: Thank you so much for speaking to that Barbara. Barbara, when you joined the call, we talked a little bit about your age because the fact that your name is Barbara and that you're a librarian, I assumed you were like a like 73 years old. Um and and then I saw you and I was like, "Oh, you're not." Um but I was I was thinking about this when I was reading, you know, the the piece in the Progressive about when my, my orientation to learning about abortion. And I really learned about abortion from other women, um, from conversations with other women who had had abortions. I also, you know, I can never talk about abortion without saying like a room of one's own, which is a feminist bookstore was incredibly formative and supportive in my ability to access an abortion when I needed one. Um, and to access a series of other resources to support getting an abortion when I needed one. Um, Barbara if you think about like where people learn about abortion when you had sex ed or human growth and development were, was there any conversation in schools around abortion <laughs> and abortion access and i mean you know if if a kid can't get this information at a library um, are we are are our kids able to get this information or accurate information around abortion and reproductive health care at school
0: well it's a great question um i'm a little biased in when i first heard about abortion in schools because i went to a catholic school for 10 years um through eighth grade so i learned about abortion uh like in middle school but if it, it was uh pra- it was vilifying uh women who got abortions so that was my um <laughs> that was my first uh i guess experience and really it it was interesting i went home from school that day and I, I my sister and her boyfriend were my sister is six years older than me and so she and her boyfriend were like seniors in high school and I came in talking about what I learned in school that day about abortion and um, her, she and her boyfriend really challenged me they had me critically think about what I had learned and what I was regurgitating and that to me was pretty transformative just having somebody mm-hmm. challenge what I had just been taught and had taken as, for lack of a better word, gospel. And so um, that was my first, I I think that that's really important too, is exposing people to evidence-based information Um, is really, really important. So, okay, that was my first experience. But then in high school, I I can't really remember learning about abortion and sex ed. I can't say that I didn't. I just can't say that I remember it. Um, If anything, I feel like abortion is something that I learned through, that I learned about through activist groups and through feminist groups that shared information on social media, um, that wrote about it in feminist magazines, uh, when I went to college that talked about it on campus, things like that. I think it's re- it was really a grassroots movement in how I learned about abortion. Um, and that's great, you know, that those are important initiatives, and I commend that. However, I also think that abortion is something that should be incorporated in sex education. This is This is part of um, comprehensive sexual and reproductive health information. And by the Guttmacher Institute, I believe, oh gosh, I I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head. But there is um, a very small amount of schools, uh, of legislation, excuse me, state legislation in the country that requires evidence-based sex sex education. Yeah, so there are 13 states.
1: There are 13 states in the United States that require sex education be medically accurate, which I think is very bare minimum. But we have a caller on, and I want to talk to you a little bit more because we talked about kind of the importance of having an unbiased lens when folks are checking out books at the library, Barbara. But I want to talk a little bit about um, age appropriateness because so much of what's happening with book bans is not saying burn this book, get rid of this book, it's mm-hmm. saying, this book is not okay for kids. Um, yeah. And I think that that is a really important conversation to have. So we're going to come back to it after we hear from David. David, welcome to mm-hmm. W-O-R-T-89.9 FM. Thank you so much for joining us on A Public Affair. How would you like to join the conversation? I feel like we lost you, David, so hopefully we can bring you back. Um, The number, again, if you want to join the conversation is 608-256-2001, extension 9. We're talking about the importance of libraries with Barbara Alvarez. Um, We're also talking about reproductive freedom, uh, censorship, and all things book bans. Barbara Talk to me a little bit about what makes a book age appropriate. Um, I I feel like as an educator, a, a, there's a part of me that wants to say a, a book is age appropriate when a kid can read and understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think folks would have would have a hard time with that definition. So
0: yeah, so I've worked in youth services. I was actually the first position that I had in public libraries was as an assistant in a youth services department. Um, but I've also worked in adult services and. What I'll say: a couple things. Librarians are not going. It's ultimately the parents to determine, or the caregivers or the guardians to determine what they want their child to read. You know that it, it ultimately comes down to a conversation within the family about what to read and what not to read, and uh, and things like that. Now, in terms of age appropriateness and literacy level, and things like that, um, you know. The, as a librarian, I would never say that uh, somebody couldn't read a book because they wanted to read that. I know that when I was young, I read books that were like way out of my league. Um, and my parents never told me that I couldn't read it. And actually, none of my teachers ever told me that I couldn't read things either. They they were happy that I was reading. Some of them were a little skeptical that I'd be able to understand what was going on, but they never said that I couldn't. Um, and so Ultimately, it comes back to information access, that um, if you are concerned about what your child is reading, that's something that you need to have a conversation with, with your child and as a family. However, librarians are not going, librarians when they order books and when they place books within the collection, it is following best collection development practices, collection development policies, recommendations by uh, publishers and reviewers and things like that, However, librarians are not going to be the one to determine what you and your family can and cannot read. That's an individual choice. We provide access to the information. And if you are concerned that your child is reading something that you don't think that they should, then, that, then that's the time for you to be the adult and have that conversation with them. Um, librarians are not going to step in on that. And I also want to say that... Um, uh, where was I going to go with that? I, I think essentially, with librarians do—they provide the information access, they follow the best professional guidelines and recommendations, and but that ultimately, it's the individual choice on what they on what somebody wants to read. And I all I'll say is that I'm very grateful that um, my uh, you know, as I said, I went to a, a Catholic school for ten years growing up. My teachers though never told me. You know, as a conservative of an environment as it may have been in some instances, um, I feel very grateful that I had teachers that always fostered my love of reading, no matter matter what it was that I picked up.
1: I feel like I have these really clear memories of the first time I read books at school that were... I felt like adult books, you know, in high school. Um, And Mm -hmm. I felt like one of the things I really loved about those books was it felt like they were the books that were saying all the things that we weren't really supposed to be talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, All of a sudden, the things that were too taboo, but were part of everybody's experience uh, were given voice. Um, And so I think to hinder that for young people is... Uh, yeah, I think it's a really harsh way to take away a resource that is rare in this world. um, Right.
0: And exactly. And so, I mean, what I'll say again for librarians is that they follow the the guidelines on collection development policies and placement and best practices and things like that. But ultimately, um, you know, like when I worked in youth services, if a child wanted to read something, I wasn't going to say, oh, you know, you shouldn't read that or or you know, and I also want to say it goes both ways. Sometimes um, a fifth grader will want to read a book that their parent might say, but that's for second graders. They could read so they could read something so much more challenging than that. That's so low level for them. And I still would never say, No, that I wouldn't ever tell them, oh, you can't read that book. That's too young for you. No, I mean if they're reading and that's great. Uh, sometimes we'd have parents who'd get upset that their child would be, like, binging on these books and not expanding outside of this book. But, um, and I, again, I would never say, you've read enough of that. That's enough reading of that. <laughs> I think, like, we're just happy people are reading.
1: Oh, Barbara, thank you so much for your enthusiasm for the reading of all people, but particularly the reading of young people and children. The plot has thickened. David is back. Yay. David, how are you doing?
2: <laughs> I'm all right. Can you hear me this time? We can okay. hear you. Thank
1: you so much for joining us on WORT 89.9 FM. This is a public affair. I'm your host, Ali Maldrow. What questions do you have for our guest, Barbara Alvarez, or what do you want to say about libraries and abortion and book bans?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first, uh, I guess I really wanted to give a huge shout out for libraries, uh, especially the ones in Madison are just so incredible. Uh, and, you know, the, the newer libraries that have been built uh, just recently, like Penny, for example, uh, near, sort of near me, they're just wonderful and such a resource for people. Uh, I just really wanted to, like, get that out there for anybody who's listening. Just libraries are great.
1: Oh, thank um, you for saying to say libraries are great. We really appreciate it, David.
2: Yeah, they just, they really are. And I guess I wanted to also, uh, you know, just kind of comment. I've been, you know, reading a a bunch actually about the post Civil War era lately uh, in books I got out of the library. Um, And just becoming aware that, uh, you know, kind of like the banning books and trying to stop people from getting access to information, uh, it's kind of all, uh, uh, you know, an aspect of. Um, what I would consider horrible developments in society where uh, people in power are trying to stop many other people from knowing what's really going on and being able to educate themselves and get a better life. And uh, libraries are kind of like the public institution, I guess, besides public schools, uh, that are simply available to everybody uh, you know, like your guest was saying, you know, you just walk in the door and you can use it. Um, and uh, it's just a sad uh, aspect of what's going on that that there's an effort to shut down access to information and knowledge, uh, you know, by people who are getting themselves in power. So yeah. I'm very supportive of libraries in uh, continuing to try to not let that happen and make information available of, of all kinds, all kinds.
1: David, thank you so much for for <laughs> talking about that. And I think one of the things you brought up that I really want to highlight in this conversation with Barbara is the history of book bans. Um, and the history of book bans is, you know, often related to totalitarianism and fascism, Um you you see book bans, you know, before genocidal moments in history. You see book bans um, before kind of horrific, you know, crimes against humanity um, are, are are being justified. Do you have a sense, as as a person who's talking about book bans, as a person who reads a lot, um, that there is a, a bigger a bigger issue? I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that we're seeing. Roe v. Wade overturned in the United States, and you're seeing girls in Iran protest for the right to show their hair, and you're seeing, you know, women in s- Afghanistan lose the right to go to college. Um, I think the conversation about gender and the role of men um, is is a, a global conversation right now, and I think the the backlash against women's rights. Um, is is part of what we have to talk about in talking about, you know, why why books on abortion uh, an issue that uniquely impacts women um is important.
0: Yeah. I I thanks for bringing that up Allie and David. I just want to say thank you so much for your support for libraries and also for that reflective uh statement that you said about um people learning about their history and learning about themselves and learning about the world around them um, and that that is something that we should be championing for uh, and the other thing i want to say about all of this is that this isn't controversial information access is not controversial just like abortion access isn't controversial we're taught that it's controversial by fringe groups of people that are restricting information access and restricting abortion but polls have shown that the overwhelming majority of the public supports do not support book bans that they support information access the overwhelming majority of the public according to Research loves the library, feels that the library is a trustworthy place where they can get valuable information. The majority of the public believes that abortion should be legal. This The thing is, these aren't controversial statements. And yet in this climate that we're in, we are treated as if this is earth shattering, groundbreaking, controversial news that somebody wants to have access to comprehensive reproductive health information and care. And it's really, really not. Um, the majority of people agree with that. Science backs it up. Um, intellectual uh, freedom is is aligned with all of this. So, I, I uh, that's-
1: that, That's a really interesting thing and a really important thing to say is that I've never met anybody who's like, I want to take down the public library. Like I want to get rid of books. I've just, I have not met those people. And so sometimes I feel like, who are these folks out there who, who are doing this? And I could talk to you about this, for a lot longer, Barbara, because I think the work that you're doing and what you're writing about is so incredibly important. I'm so grateful to you for doing it. But we've got three minutes left. Huge mm-hmm. shout out for Ben to keep it for keeping us on time. Barbara, what are kind of the most important things that you want people <laughs> to know about how to stop book bans, how to stand up for, you know, reproductive freedom, how to use their their local library as a space of empowerment?
0: Yes. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me here. And if I could take leave one suggestion here to listeners is support your local library. Uh, if you don't have a library card, go get one. If your card has been lapsed, renew it. Tell the librarians, go in and say thank you. Check out books, borrow books, attend a program, um, run for library board, volunteer for the friends of the library, support the library foundation speak about the importance of the library in the community, these things might seem small, but I promise you, they're not. And like I said, it's been now almost three years of a global pandemic. Librarians are feeling the heat of the weight of what's going on on a global and national and local level. Um, Showing gratitude and support can really go a long way, and I really, really encourage people to do that. Of course, I would encourage people to also stand up for abortion access and um, you know to really consider how legislators are voting and to make your voice heard there as well. But if we're specifically talking about how we can support libraries in providing information access to people, I think the, a huge thing that you can do is be involved at the library. We need people who care to be involved with the library, whether it's checking out a book or whether it's joining the library board.
1: Mm, Thank you so much for joining us here today on WORT 89.9 FM. This is a public affair. I'm your host, Ali Maldrow. Happy New Year, everybody. Barbara Alvarez, thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for what you're writing. Um, I am so grateful to support and celebrate libraries here with you today on WORT. Thanks for having me.